Well, I, I, I knew that I was working on products that, that people love and that people gravitated to, uh, that people, that made people smile. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my nieces and nephews, when I work, was working on things like strawberry shortcake and Care Bears and, and pound puppies and so forth, I, I could see in my nieces and nephews' faces, you know, that to them as little kids, four or five years old, it's wow, you know, that it was very important to them. But when we first started with uh, Star Wars, you know, we were riding Six Million Dollar Man and Bionic Woman, and they were doing very, very well. When George came to us, you know, with the talking about George Lucas, guys, he uh, refers yes. him as George. Yeah, with the, with the with the Star Wars script, and I was called downstairs to meet with him and look at the script. And we didn't know Star Wars was going to be what it what it became. You know, we had we started with a six dollar six million dollar man and grew that to two hundred million dollars in sales in two years, mm. and so. We were feeling pretty good about ourselves and, and, and our capabilities in that regard. And we had just negotiated to do Miss, the Miss America pageant dolls. And, and, and so we had a lot of stuff on our plate. But we quickly realized that Star Wars is forever. My name is Dr. Mark Williams. Welcome to my masterclass. I have a PhD in education from West Virginia University. I have a master's in sport management and an MBA from the University of Massachusetts. I even have an undergraduate degree in sociology from William Patterson University. And currently, I'm the global scholar practitioner at HBCU, Florida Memorial University. But I also work for three of the largest sports brands in the world, Reebok, Champ Sports, and Foot Action. But I can't go anywhere without my Jordan 1s. Join me and my guests as we explore their rise to the top through adversity and challenges, it's time to help you find a hero in you. Welcome to my masterclass. Welcome to Dr. Mark's masterclass. Good day, everyone. My name is Dr. Mark Williams, and I'm your host of the Dr. Mark's masterclass on the Esports Futurai podcast network. We're in studio with Innovation Media Enterprises located here in City Central and North Dallas Addison. Got a big shout out to our partners, Sia and Aaron with Innovation Media Enterprises. They do a fantastic job. We also have a great job done by our amazing engineer, AJ. But none of this would be possible without this man sitting across from me, Jacob Miles III. Not the second, not the first, but the third. You know you pretty dope when you got the third, okay? What's up, brother? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. So good to see you, man. So good to see you. Welcome back to Dallas. Thank you, man. You know, I used to live here. I lived here in uh, Valley Ranch right next Mm -hmm. to Capel for three years back in the 2000s. And it's just, it's an honor to be back. But more importantly, none of this will be possible for for you. But Sia Mm -hmm. actually reached out to me. And I'm going to tell you when she reached out to me, because this is something everyone needs to know. Sia uh, reached out to me on the September 23rd. And let me tell you exactly what she said, because I have it right here. Hi, Dr. Williams. I attended ESTA conference and saw your post, so I thought I'd reach out and contact you as well. I have a client. The client she's referring to is this brother right here that is launching a podcast network. If you'd like to be a guest, let me know. I say, sure, why not? I'd love to talk to you. And then she writes back a month and a half later because they were getting this straight. Little did I know that they were already planning this podcast and he had already put this network up. She writes me back on November 10th. She says, hi, Dr. Williams. Things got a bit hectic. 
and I'm, I'm, I'm the producer, and now I have two podcast clients, and I want you to be on their show. One is Lewis Johnson, NBC Olympics commentator, all in with eSports, and the other is Chantel Boucher, managing director for MAP eSports Network and eSports Future, Future Eye magazine podcast. Is this something you'd be interested in participating? Really? Really? Is that what she asked me? Am I interested? All she had to do was say uh, Lewis Johnson, someone I admire for years. Then I had to look up what this brother did right here, uh, this brother right here, and I said, okay, this is this is this is a lot. Of course I want to come. And then I decided to come and do this interview. And by the time I got here for the interview, by December 1st, I signed the contract. And now I'm doing my first ever podcast because of this man right here. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. Oh man, well, thank you for becoming part of the family. Well, it's great. It's been great so far. Everything's been great. I know it's going to be even better as we continue to move forward. But let me let me explain something to you, everyone. One of the things that you've heard at the very beginning of my podcast, the kind of the three minute podcast, that the introduction of what this show is. Many of you don't know. Well, if you have listened to it, please go back and listen to it. My background comes from sports marketing. OK, but I did have an opportunity to work with the publishers in the video game industry for many years. But one of the things that I found fascinating is that I didn't know too many people like me that looked like me that was African-American that was in the sports industry around the shoe industry. Larry Miller was a person that I knew of who was the president of the, of the Jordan brand and, and Howard White, who's like the founder of the Jordan brand. Other than that, there was really no one that I knew of. So when I meet young people that look like me, I, they look at me and others, Pete Roby and others that look like me that, that are in that space. But when I met this brother, I, I didn't know anybody black that was in toys. And I'm sure there's many of them that are out there now, but you are a pioneer in this space, weren't you? Oh, no question about it. When I uh, started in the, in the toy industry back in the early 70s, yeah, there weren't uh, any other African-Americans other than janitors and one or two secretaries. Wow. Okay, then you, you heard that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down this man's career. I can't do it any, I don't think I can do it justice to it, but I'm going to try my best to talk a little bit about how iconic this man is in the, in the toy industry. He is best known for his impeccable, basically he's done so many great things for Hasbro. You guys heard of Hasbro, right? Hasbro, toy company? Okay. Well, Kenner, you've heard of Kenner? No, maybe not. Okay. Well, he was the global vice president of Hasbro. He worked on uh, rolling out the uh, Sega game systems to working on product lines such as Knight Rider. You guys remember Kit, Knight Rider, Michael, Michael, remember that Knight Rider, right? David, David Hasselhoff, Google it, my friends, please Google that. Okay. Six million dollar man, Steve Austin, Google that. And that's the music for Six Million Dollar Man right there. You see? I'm right on cue. We didn't plan that. Actually, it wasn't. But but anyway, a Six Million Dollar Man, Strawberry Shortcake, Care Bears, Easy Bake Oven, Stretch Armstrong. Remember, Stretch Armstrong. Stretch Armstrong. I'm showing my age, but I don't care. That's why you Google this, my friends. And that's why you have parents that can tell you about it. Bionic Woman. But even more impressive, Jacob worked with George Lucas to help launch the Star Wars tour lines. I mean, I go on and on. This man also has a puzzle. I mean, I can't make this stuff up. I mean, what what got you? How, how did this happen? But before we talk about that in your career, because there's so many things to talk about, but you did so much in the industry and because there was no one like you, how, how did you how did you go about being able to create so many legendary things while you were doing? Did you not know that you were doing something that was legendary at the time or did you just did it for fun or what was that like? Well, I, I, I knew that I was working on products that that people love and that people gravitated to that 
people that made people smile. Mm-hmm. My nieces and nephews, when I work, was working on things like strawberry shortcake and Care Bears and and pound puppies and so forth, I, I could see in my nieces and nephews' faces, you know, that to them as little kids, four or five years old, it's wow, you know, that it was very important to them. But when we first started with uh, Star Wars, you know, we were riding Six Million Dollar Man and Bionic Woman, and they were doing very, very well. When George came to us, you know, with the... Talking about George Lucas, guys. He uh, refers to him as George. Yeah, with the the Star Wars script. And I was called downstairs to meet with him and look at the script. And we didn't know Star Wars was going to be what it it became. You know, we had... We started with a $6 million man and grew that to $200 million in sales in two years. Mm. And so we were feeling pretty good about ourselves and, and, and our capabilities in that regard. And we had just negotiated to do Miss, the Miss America pageant dolls. And, and, and so we had a lot of stuff on our plate. But we quickly realized that Star Wars is forever. Wow. So when, when Star Wars took off the way it did, were you... I mean, did you know it was going to, when was it, once it, once it did well, the first Star Wars, did you think it was going to be so many trilogies and many more uh, for the property? Did, what did you think? Well, we were, we were behind the eight ball from the very beginning with Star Wars because we decided Bernie Loomis was our, our president at the time. And Bernie had this phrase, uh, is it toyetic? In mm-hmm. other words, is this entertainment property? Is this idea? Can it, is it toyetic? It means can it be turned into toys and and have growth to it? Mm-hmm. And so with, with Star Wars, we, we really saw that, yes, it could be toyetic, but we didn't have enough time to make the tooling and to make everything to get ready for the, the launch of the movie. Mm-hmm. So what we did was Bernie asked, okay, guys, what do you have time to do? And we said, packaging. That's the only thing we had time to do. Mm-hmm. So he said, okay, I want you to do the packaging and then I want you to put a slip inside the packaging, say we'll, we'll send you a toy when they're ready and we'll sell the packaging with the slip in it for the price of the toy. Mm. So we went to market with that, of course, and it was very successful, mm. but the FCC outlawed it after that. You can't sell empty boxes anymore. Oh, wow. And FCC, yeah, my brother uh, actually works for the FCC. He's an attorney there. So we, we apologize for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the FCC and the FTC, they both got involved and said, wait a minute, because we were advertising it on TV. So that brought the FCC and it was trade and that brought in the FTC. And you can't sell empty boxes. But we found a loophole mm-hmm. and we sold millions of them. Wow. Wow. Even now, what, what, what is it? What is the what are sales like now? Do you think that as far as Star Wars? billions? Billions, what yes. a capital B. Yeah, yeah. Star Wars is a multi-billion-dollar property. And do you look back at that now, as you see, you know, when you look at the reports, or uh, you look in, you know, looking in, you know, Money Magazine or whatever? Mm-hmm. You're, are you are you fascinated or surprised? Like, you know, I had something to do with that. Well, I'm I'm excited to have something to do with it. Uh, it's uh, obviously I'm I'm very proud of it. I am an avid collector. I have a lot of the stuff that I worked on over the years. I have the only white dwarf Vader in the world. And so, yeah, I'm always proud to be a part of Star Wars. But again, and I'm always proud to work with Lucasfilm. I even work with them now on uh, Tuskegee Airmen. Oh, wow. My company represents the Tuskegee Airmen. And, of course, they did Red Tails, the movie, 
and and we have other things planned as well. Oh wow! Were you on the set of the movie when they did when they did Red Sales? Uh, I was not on the set of the movie. It was I came to represent the Tuskegee Airmen for licensing and 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 fundraising and so wow. forth later on. Wow! <laughs> wow! In case any of you out here are listening, I want to remind you once again: you're listening to the Dr. Marks Masterclass Podcast on the Esports Future Eye Podcast Network, powered by Innovation Innovation Media Enterprises, and we're here talking to an iconic person here, an iconic figure here. I'm just honored to, and blessed to be in his presence because every time I talk to him, I'm always learning something new and something different about him and what he's done. One of the things I learned differently today about him, I'm not shocked by it. We I talked about his childhood growing up. And we were talking about Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. They call it the Natty. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lewis right. is also from Cincinnati. And you mm-hmm. grew up in uh, Millville Housing Projects. Uh, you had seven to nine folks at any time living in your house. Your mom mm-hmm. and dad, grandma, you know, three sisters and a brother and a cousin. Mm-hmm. What was that like growing up? Uh, very busy. You know, uh, always something going on all around you at all times. And it was, it was also, it was a good thing because... I always had, I had my sisters to pick on mm-hmm. and, you know, as big brothers would do, you know, and I had an older sister who was in charge of, I call it policing me, mm-hmm. uh, trying to keep me in line, mm-hmm. you know, and love her dearly. And she did a good job of keeping an eye on me and walking me to school when I was little and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And you, you told me, you shared with me before that you didn't like holding her hand walking down the street. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, I would tell her, you know, I'm, I'm a big boy. I don't need you to hold my hand, mm-hmm. you know, but she knew if she let my hand go, I'd be all over the place. So, and my mom was standing in the door hollering at her, don't you let his hand go. You hold it all the way to school until you hand him off to the teacher, you know, and so she did. And she had a firm grip on it too. Whenever I moved, she'd squeeze it even tighter. So I said, you hurt me. Well, stop moving. <laughs> Oh, well, it was it was interesting listening to you talk about your your mom and your dad, and you you, you mentioned how your parents were adored by the community in general. Mm-hmm. They were they were known mostly for just being peaceful, attentive people. Mm-hmm. Did you find a lot of parents uh, where you lived that had that same that had similar qualities and demeanors? Was it just, your parents were just special and different? Oh, they were definitely different. They they the answer the simple answer is no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, the the environment that I was raised in was 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 very, very loud, very boisterous, and very very violent. Mm-hmm. In the sense that the walls were very thin, as housing projects usually are, and we would hear abuse going on uh, next door. And my mom would go in the kitchen, fix something real quick, put it in a little container, then go next door because she heard the abuse, knock on the door, and then asked for the lady of the house mm-hmm. because she had this dish. And what she really was doing was interrupting yes. the abuse and then telling her, come on, come on around. I need to show you something about, you know, and, and get her out of there. And till till the guy calmed down and talk to her and console her. And, and then she would go and, and, and talk with him as well. So, so that was very, very different. And mm-hmm. then also you had the, the, the typical, Ladies sitting up in the window on the second floor, <laughs> watching the kids hollering at them and yeah. and screaming out the window, I, "I see you!" and 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 that sort of thing. So yeah, it was very very active and 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 very very fluid, very mm. very fluid. Wow. How, 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 why, why do you? Because I'm I'm thinking about this. Because I think about my relatives and my family and uh, my father and mother. 
grew up in a similar environment in Newark, New Jersey, mm-hmm. and they were different too because mm-hmm. they 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 had the gumption to think, hey, we we don't want to live in this environment when we get married and have kids. And they, we didn't, we didn't live in an environment like that, but my mother and father made sure that we knew who our cousins were. Mm-hmm. They made sure that they did not hide us from our relatives and they, we escaped. We don't want to go back, but we, we got a chance to see how some of my cousins lived. They may have lived in housing projects and, and they used to always talk to us and say, Hey, they're still your cousins, your relatives, but you know, if they're not going to be disciplined properly, they, they might, they might have a different outcome in there and the way they grew up. Mm-hmm. And I think no matter where you live at urban, suburban, you know, rural, if you have good discipline and parents that are disciplining you, I think you're going to turn out okay. Is that, is that, is that something that you've seen in your, in your, in your, in your? Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would agree with that a hundred percent. And then I would, I would say the other thing is setting the example, hmm. you know, and, and, and my parents were peacemakers, you know, and so that's what we saw all the time, peacemaking, you know, so, so we all turned out to be pretty much peacemakers. That's good. I mean, do you think that, that that played a role in your in your role as, as far as leadership roles when you were vice president and leading companies and eventually becoming a, a, an entrepreneur? Did that play a role in how you because when, when I'm around you and one, you know, one of the things I like about you is that every Thursday we have this call and everyone on the, on the, in the company is involved. And it's rare that you meet someone who's in a position you're in that that has a good spirit, such a good kind spirit. I've never seen you upset. I've never seen you frustrated. I've always seen you with a smile and you always are encouraging people. Where did, where did that come from? Is that from your mom and dad as well? Well, it, it, it definitely from, from my mom and dad. And uh, I think that the, the, the one thing that stood out from them among everything else was their calm uh, demeanor. And they would always say that when you get agitated or when you get angry, the only person you're hurting is yourself, mm. you know, because your agitation and your anger does not hurt the person you're angry, angry with. Mm-hmm. It causes you to hurt inside. So the only person that can hurt you really is yourself. Wow. And it's deep. That's deep. And it's interesting because I, I know that, you know, you had two other influences in your life, your, your grandma you know, Ludi and mm-hmm. then a Grace, Eva Grace. And so one, you know, is near you and the other one's in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. This is back in the, in the 60s. Yes. And, you know, there's Jim Crow. There's, you know, Governor Wallace down there. What was it like traveling down south to, to go visit your your grandma coming from all the way from Ohio when in the north where you don't really see, you see mostly just black people where you live at, all black mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And you're going down to this part of the country. What was that like for you? Well, you know, as as a kid in the projects and who loved to hang out, you know, with his boys, mm-hmm. you know, I hated leaving in the summertime when school got out. Cause I knew that's when I could really spend a lot of time playing basketball, hanging out, you know, mess with, you know, flirting with the girls and, you know, and so when, when mom would send me and dad would send me to Alabama, I had the worst attitude of all, but my sister and I would go and she'd fix us a, a shoebox full of, fried chicken and, and, and some other stuff. And my sister was in charge of taking care of making sure I don't eat it all in the first <laughs> you hour. Was, you was going to eat all yeah. that chicken? Oh, I'd <laughs> ate it as long as it was there. <laughs> okay. Okay. So she sat there guarding the chicken, you know, <laughs> and, and, and piecing it out to me over the, over the course of the trip. Mm-hmm. And we would, we would go, go down there through uh, union terminal mm-hmm. and uh, union terminal is uh, just a beautiful art deco building. 
uh, that out in Cincinnati that was the, the train station. And then my grandma would pick us up in, in Birmingham, mm-hmm. and then we'd drive over to Tuscaloosa. But the South obviously was very, very active and, 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 and violent as, as we thought of it. And so when I went to see my grandmother, like I said, I had an attitude. And so my grandmother, she decided to teach me a lesson. Mm. And so she says, okay, you think you have it bad? And I said, yeah, because I got to come down here and I got to do all this stuff. And and she had a, a beautiful farm. You know, she had cattle, she had hogs, not those, not pigs, not pink things, but hogs, which are those gray things yeah. that are mean. And <laughs> she had donkeys and bulls oh and goodness. dogs and chickens and, and you know, just all, all kinds of animals. And And she had a sharecropper that worked her, her gardens and her, her farm. And they lived in a trailer down on the, at the end of her farm on our land. And uh, so I would hang out with them and, but had a get again, a big attitude. So she decided to teach me a lesson. She says, tomorrow morning, I got somebody coming by that's going to pick you up. So that morning a truck comes, pulls up and she said, well, that's Mr. Charlie. And, uh, and on the back of the truck was about eight, nine black people on the back of the truck. Mr. Charlie was white. And uh, she walked up to the truck, says, it's my grandson, Mr. Charlie. I want you to take him down. I want you to treat him just like everybody else. He's going to work with you today. Mm. And, uh, and so now I'm going, what am I, you know, and so I got on up there and then they take us out to a cotton field, mm. you know. And so as we're uh, riding on the truck and and the people on there are trying to, help me mm-hmm. and saying, well, let me, let me tell you, let me tell you young buck, here's how you do it. So you don't, you don't hurt yourself. You know, then, then, you know, they're trying to explain to me and school me on the work we're getting ready to go do. I don't want to hear that mess and I'm blowing them off right. and tell them, I ain't, I ain't like y'all, yeah. you know, you know, and so forth. And so we get there, they give me a burlap sack and they send me out in the field with them and they're still trying to help me and I'm not listening. Now I'm really pissed. I'm from the city, mm-hmm. and now I'm down here in the South picking cotton. <laughs> Those days are supposed to be gone. Right, right. You know, so I'm really, really mad now. And so I'm picking the cotton and snatching. and You're hurting your hands, yeah. though. Oh, oh, my yeah. hand's getting all bloody. The cotton's all bloody. Seeds all in the cotton. So the, And they just look at me and shake my head. You know, they're shaking their head at me like they tried to school me. So we get back at the end of the day and everybody dumps their cotton out so he can weigh it and see how much you get paid. And he dumped my cotton out, sees all the blood and the <laughs> seeds. And he says, he starts writing stuff. He goes, okay, it's going to cost me more to clean this cotton oh. than it is, than the cotton's worth. Therefore, you owe me X amount of dollars. What? I'll see you tomorrow. What? Now, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm about to cry because <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm getting ready to be in this circle right. that I can't get out of, right. you know. And so we get back on the truck. I, I, I get home and now I'm like mush, right. you know what I mean? And he treated me the same. He never apologized. They dropped me off with my grandma. My grandma says, well, wh- what happened? He told me I got to come back tomorrow. Anyhow, you know, I'm, I'm just losing it. And she said, well, what, what did you learn? I ain't learned nothing. <laughs> you know, I'm mad. I, you know, I ain't learned nothing. She said, well, just tell me what, what happened. Well, I was picking up. She said, no, no, not, not in the cotton field. What happened on the truck? 
Oh, you may. Tell me what happened with the people on the truck. Oh, well, they, they, they tried to tell me how to do it and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and so forth. So they tried to help you. Well, yeah, they tried to help me. Okay, so you learn that, you know, people try to help you. You should listen to them. Mm -hmm. You know, if they know how to do something and you listen to them, then you'll probably learn how to do it faster. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then she just walked through that all the way through, you know, the the weighing in and doing a job and doing it right. Mm -hmm. You know, taking your time and so forth. If you had taken your time and got clean cotton, you'd have had less cotton. But then you'd have got paid instead of owing. Right. You know, and so forth. So she's she just weaved life lessons through my whole experience. And then she told me, you don't have to go back tomorrow. <laughs> oh. She was trying to teach you a lesson. Oh, she did. Yeah. Oh, she did. I never complained again. And did you did you think that that helped you, too, with when you were in a position of leadership, making sure that you had people around you that were smarter than you or people that knew what they were talking about and listened to them, followed what they were saying? It it it, it just taught me that listening is so important. Mm -hmm. Listening is more important than talking. Mm -hmm. And I make, I make a point of listening more than talking. Okay. You hear that listening more than talking, listening more than talking, dropping jewels today. One of the things that I find fascinating about you, you talked about your mom, her influence mostly, and then your grandmother, and then your dad, your dad was, man, he was, he was a fascinating man. He was in World War II with the Black Panthers and tank uh, battalions, and he was suicide missions. That's what he did. And you really didn't know that much about him until Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, Hall of Famer, was writing a book, and, and he interviewed you. And mm -hmm. what, what did you learn about your dad? Well, my uh, my dad was a very, very gentle man. He was about 6'3", mm -hmm. and uh, they called him Big Jake. And uh, in the projects, you know, he was my protector. You know what I mean? If I went out and some of the, I call them crazies, <laughs> were out on the basketball court because we had lots of crazies that everybody knew was crazy, you know? And, and, and I would always hear them say, that's Big Jake's son. That's Big Jake's son, you know? And and everybody, again, they, they, they love my dad. My dad got along with everybody, knew their dads. They all be under the shade tree, drinking together and all this kind of stuff. But the But I didn't know much about his his history and his wartime because he wouldn't talk about it. I'd ask about it, mm -hmm. but he'd say, you don't need that in your head. It's mm -hmm. too ugly. It's too violent. You don't need that in your head. And, uh, but I knew because he had a, a book that we would look at as kids from time to time that the army issued on the 761st tank battalion called come out fighting mm -hmm. uh, the black Panthers. And uh, I didn't know at the time until then that the black Panthers were named after the 761st Tank Battalion. And the uh, they were the first black tank battalion, just like the Tuskegee Airmen were the first fighter pilots. Mm -hmm. And so every me he served under under Patton. He did tell me that Patton probably was the cur most cursing, racist guy he ever saw, mm -hmm. and that everything uh, came out of his mouth was racist and cursing. Mm -hmm. But the but he'd never talk about the war, the World War II, or about the Korean War, you know, and so I, other than what I read in, in the government's uh, write-up on it, that the book that they gave all the members that he had, and, and, and then listening sometimes when his friends would come down that were in, in the service with him from Detroit and places, and they'd sit in the dining room and, and talk, and, 
uh, smoke cigars and I'd sit off in, in in the other room close to the to the door and kind of listen. And mm-hmm. so I'd hear some of the stories there that they have. But a lot of those stories weren't about the war. It was about the recreation, <laughs> their mm-hmm. recreational activities, right. you yeah. know, with baseball and jazz and and things of that nature. But so when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was doing the book on the 761st, that's when I really started looking into it and 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 really became quite, you know, quite amazed at some of the things that they accomplished. But the the real, I shall say, awakening to the accomplishments of my dad did not come from anything in the U.S. It, it actually came from Germany. Wow. I was uh, CEO of Urban America Television Network, and I was sitting in my office one day, and I got a call from the German government. And the German government... I'm going, well, what does the German government want with me? And he asked, asked, was I Jacob Miles III? Was my father Jacob Miles Jr.? Served in World War II. And I, and I said, yes, yes, yes. And he says, well, you don't have to, but there's someone that would like to talk with you. Mm. I said, okay. And that someone uh, was my sister. My dad had a kid in Germany, mm. and and she was trying to find her family. And obviously it found me. And so I had a sister, a half sister in Germany. And so now I'm freaking out. <laughs> so I, I call my sisters. Right. Should I tell mom? Yeah. You know, my dad's deceased by the end. Should I tell mom? What, what, what should we do? And my older sister says, mom's al- already knows. Mm. Don't you remember mom talking about before that the, her and dad met, there was uh he had a child in Germany and they were trying to get the kid here. And, and of course, the U.S. government wasn't hearing it. Hitler wasn't hearing it. You know, a mixed baby coming to America, that wasn't going to happen. Mm. And uh, so we told my mom. My mom started crying. Mm. They were so happy. And, and her stories about my dad and my, sis, my other sister going to visit her, taking pictures of their house, they had more pictures of my dad in their house than we had in our house in the United States. Wow. And they have monuments over there and mm. all kinds of stuff. And they tell a totally different story than America told about their role, our role in World War II. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. I'm just sitting here picturing this and, and how, how exciting that must have been for your family. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm listening, guys. I just, I'm taking it all in because you know, when I talk to this man, every time I talk to him, his voice finding out something more and more, but I want to remind you, you've, you've been, you're listening to uh, Dr. Mark's masterclass uh, podcast on the eSports Future Eye podcast network powered by Innovation Media Enterprises. And so, you know, there's so many more things I want to talk about before we run out of time. I, I, I know I've got to bring you back many more times, not because uh, you're my boss, but, but because I need to bring you back. We're partner, you best- partner, man. We're partners. Yeah. It, it, See, I, I'm glad he said that. See, I say that just to see what people would say. And he said the right thing, right? It, we're partners. Yes, we are partners. And, uh, you, you know, there's like there's, there's like five, six, seven parts to your life, maybe even more. But the, but the second part of your life is when you were thinking about your future, going to college. And you've, you've encountered many people that help you see through, you know, going to college. Mr. Keys, for example, mm-hmm. he played a role in your life. Tell, mm-hmm. tell everyone about Mr. Keys. Mr. Keys uh, was a uh, vice principal at Camp Washington Elementary School, Mm -hmm. and uh, he saw something uh, in me 
that he kind of took me under his wing. And, and, and I, I think in looking back that my, it was because I was very, very a neat kid. I used to get picked on for being so neat, but my mom did day work. I did, you know, clean wealthy people's houses and so forth. And she'd get a lot of hand-me-down clothes from them. And then she would, you know, dress me in those clothes. She'd grease me up in the morning with Vaseline all over before I go to school because that's, that's what she did then. Yeah. And uh, and so I, w- I was very neat and mannerly. And so Mr. Keyes decided that do you want to be in in the in the school crossing guard? Mm-hmm. And I I decided to do it. And then I became captain of the crossing guards. Mm-hmm. And so, but Mr. Keyes kind of counseled me through that whole process. And that was really my first interaction and in being around white people. This It was a blue collar community where we went to school after they, after integration came. And the it, w- it was my first experience of sort of being a supervisor and, uh, and, and being a supervisor with white people. My lieutenant was white, Gary Blankenship, great little kid, but he and I would strategize and figure out how we were going to split up the crossing guard responsibilities and so forth. But oh, yeah. you called the captain of the guards or something? Captain, uh, yeah, captain of the crossing guards. Okay. <laughs> okay. So now you, you go from being at, a, at an all black school to now having Mr. Keys provide you this wonderful opportunity of being captain of the crossing guards. Mm-hmm. What was, how did, how did, how did your fellow peers, your fellow, you know, friends, how did they take that when you went back to the hood? Oh, well, they, they obviously were at the same school and the, and the hood was not happy. So uh, <laughs> the, 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 the bullies were in full effect, you know, and I remember one George Wright, when that happened, he said, we we gone, man, you know, a bunch of cuss words, your butt. And so they waited for me at the end of the bridge. We had a long bridge between Camp Washington and, and Millville. Then that crossed some stockyards where all of the cows and slaughterhouses were. And on the other side was chemical companies and machine tool companies. And so we had to walk across this bridge. I was telling Mr. Keys that they're going to be waiting for me on at the end of the bridge, on the project side of the bridge to, you know, beat me up. So Mr. Keys called in the police and they, they brought the helicopter over, over them and, and dispersed them. And, <laughs> and then I went on, I, I went on home. Wait, how uh, old were you? I was probably in probably about the fifth grade. And they got a helicopter? Yeah, they, Mr. Keyes, <laughs> they got a helicopter, just kind of flew over there and, and told them to disperse and then had a couple of police cars drive by and, and so forth. And, and. And you know, you could see in their face like <laughs> it, it. It didn't. It didn't fit. Right. You know. It, you know. This guy's one of us. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, I, I got home, but they were still there in my neighborhood. So yes, when yes. I go out and play, they're still out there. Yeah. And they're going like, do "You have anything to do with that? No, no, no. You couldn't have had nothing to do with that. You, you, you project guy just like us. They, right. they, 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 they were. It, they were just confused. It yeah. Was, it was, it was just shock for him. That would know? be confusing to me. I'm, I'm trying to pick, I'm trying to bully you and you got the helicopters now. What's going on here? <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I, you know, we're running out of time. And, and the thing about it is I can sit here and talk to this man for hours. Okay. There's so many parts to this. And when he got to high school, that's an amazing story. And that's in a teaser for you because his life changed in high school when he had a chance to get into the uh, North American School of Drafting. That was a pro- that was in- interesting. 
his guidance counselor in high school. That was interesting as well. There's so many different stories to this in terms of how he got to be the man he became. It just didn't happen overnight. And we're going to pick up with that when we come back in January. January 19th is when I'm going to be doing my second podcast, my second Jurassic podcast. And we're going to have to bring this brother back on because, I mean, we can sit here for days listening to his stories, as you can tell. I mean, in fifth grade, you got helicopters and helping you out to get out of the danger, danger, right? <laughs> it's fascinating to hear. You know, I, again, I, I'm just so, so privileged and honored that you have allowed me to be part of the team. And, and when you were looking, when you're looking for people to be part of your amazing team, what, what kind of qualities are you looking for in people to help grow your brand? Well, you know, I remember what, you know, one of my mentors and, 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 and obviously, and, and one best friends today in later life is, is Clarence Avant. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember sitting in Clarence's office when he was chairman of Motown. And him saying to me, you know, he was, it was at a time Gerald Busby was president and, and Andre Harrell had just been hired as, uh, to come in and, and run Motown. Hmm. And, and Clarence said, you know, it's really not about how talented some, someone is in what they do. Hmm. He says, it's really about the person. He says, if it's a good person that's willing to work hard and and listen and do the things necessary, they can learn anything. Mm. And you have a good person, you know, working for you. But if it's a, a bad person, the key that you've got to be able to do is recognize very quickly, mm-hmm. is this a good person or is this a bad person? Mm-hmm. And so call that, as my mom would say, my spidey sense. Your spidey sense. Okay. <laughs> and identifying uh, good people. And I'm and, and and I, I look for them. I'm drawn to them. And I'm blessed to be able to recognize them. Well, I, I want to say I'm blessed and honored to be part of your team and to have you a part of my life and just your encouragement and just your your vision of what you're, where you're trying to make this. That's why I didn't hesitate when you asked me to to join the team I, I, without without uh, hesitation. And I, so, so thank you for coming into my life when I'm transitioning and, and, and taking on new responsibilities, new roles in my life. And and you came at the right time. So thank you for, for, for being there for me. Well, I want to thank you for everything you're doing for the kids of the day. Because as you know, with MAP Esports Network, Esports Future Eye Podcast Network, we are focused on disadvantaged kids because I was one of them. So it is at the core of our being and our operation. And I am so excited to see the, the work that you're doing with the kids and whatever we can do to support you and move that forward. We're here to support you, brother. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it very much. And uh, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about all of this. We're going to talk about the network, your vision, and and obviously your career. Because again, I think I'm going to have to have one every time I do my podcast because there's always something different and something new about this person and that you need to know. And uh, I've gotten a chance to get to know him and I'm still a lot more to learn, obviously. But again, being a part of a team and being a part of something or someone that thinks beyond himself and thinks about other people. That's not something you see all the time in leaders, especially now in 2020. But we're looking to find more people like that. So, uh, Brother Jacob Miles III, thank you so much for coming on to the Dr. Mark's Masterclass podcast. It's just funny saying that considering it's my first time having a podcast that I wanted one. And then, but the podcast that is powered by this man's network. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. So you've been listening to Dr. Mark's Masterclass on the Esports Future Eye podcast network powered by Innovation in Media Enterprises. We want to thank Aaron and Sia for all your amazing work. 
And AJ, thank you for making it sound great. And again, thank you for Jacob Milder III for coming on the show. And remember, I always tell people that you cannot control other people. You can control yourself only, and you can control three things, what you think, what you do, and what you say. And we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Dr. Mark's Masterclass Podcast. Thank you. Peace. Peace. Thanks for listening to Dr. Mark's Masterclass. I pray you enjoyed yourself today. I had a good time. I don't know about you, but this podcast is part of the Esports Futurize Podcast Network and is produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and let us know how we're doing by leaving a comment or a review. Class dismissed. Class dismissed.